Hello, my good friends. It's Oliver here again from the Natural High Club, which is, of course, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of happiness in all its glorious forms. I'm particularly excited to share this week's interview with you because the subject is just such an impressive guy. After a tough beginning, Darren Main dedicated his adult life to studying and teaching yoga, as well as writing and generally spreading the love. I was referred to him by a good friend and I went to his Tuesday evening yoga class which takes place in Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. There are certain experiences in life which fill me with the need to do voluntary verbal promotion for the cause and this is most certainly one of them. Darren is a genuinely inspirational figure who immediately seems like your best friend and is touched by a certain magic. I can't recommend his yoga classes highly enough and I'm also going to buy one of his books as soon as I've finished this podcast. In this show, which whizzes by, we talk about yoga, religion, Donald Trump, adoption, love, Harold and Maud, and incredible prophecies. You can find out more about him, his yoga classes and retreats, and his publications in the show notes at naturalhigh.club forward slash Darren Main. That's D-A-R-R-E-N-M-A-I-N. I have no doubts this week that you will indeed enjoy the show. Soften the knees, take hold of the elbows It's a great question. I generally just jump straight into it. I do want to say thanks again for your time. It's amazing because we've never even met in person, but I have been to a couple of your classes and they really had such a big impact on me. Um, There have been choppy waters in my life over the last year and I genuinely felt so calm and positive in your classes, not least because of the the location in Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, which is an extraordinary place. And I'm not personally a religious person, but I feel that this really sort of inclusive yoga session with amazing music going on in the background is a great use of the venue as it sort of engenders the sort of sense of community, which we seem to be losing in the digital age. But um, yeah, just your vibes are so good. So I'd love to know something about your story, how you got into yoga, how long you've been doing it, and how did the Grace Cathedral thing come about? Um, First, thank you for the opportunity to chat with you. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm really honored that you we're moved enough by the class to reach out to me. Really, really appreciate it. And also what you just said is sort of, it's particularly flattering because that was sort of what you just said was sort of a summary of what 
what I was going for when I first started the class. Okay. That spiritual but not religious feel that um, gave people a sense of community um, that I think many people had when they were going to church or synagogue. And then as people sort of drifted away from more traditional religion, drifted away from that sense of unity, a place to touch base and ground each week. So um, thank you for noticing. I really appreciate that more than you know. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, so I started yoga really young. Um, not so much young for today, but young for my day. Um, I was 17 when I got clean and sober and about 18 when I started yoga. And it was it was sort of born out of just being a really messed up, messed up teenager and trying to get clean and sober and looking for a way to um, sort of what you were just alluding to. I, yeah. I had a bad experience with Christianity early in life and I, I my sponsor was pressuring me to find a higher power. And and I didn't really know what that meant even. I just knew I didn't want to find it in a church. <clears throat> so I I found a yoga class and it seemed to freak everybody out at the time. I mean today everybody does yoga, but you know there were you know 30 years ago there was this sense that it was this weird Eastern cult type of thing that only hippies did, and I was going to have to run away and live in the Himalayas and. It was alternative at the time. Right. And now, now, now my doctor's telling everybody to do it. So yeah. <laughs> times have changed. But yeah, it changed my life. It, it, it brought me back into my body. It, um, I think it was a very um, different experience. I mean, my understanding of Christianity at that time was very body shaming, whether it was about my sexuality, whether it was about um it just all of the appetites of the body all of the things that make being in a body wonderful sin and taboo shamed yeah it's taboo there's something wrong with you for for being in a body and yoga did just the opposite it said you're in a body now learn how to be in a body well right okay you, you know we we can be in a body and not do it so well but yoga teaches us how to do it in a way that lifts us up and makes it some of that spiritual experience you were referencing, um, whether you're a churchgoer or not, to feel fully alive is to be a good thing for most people. Absolutely. Are you a religious person? No. But you're no. a spiritual person, clearly. And so would you say that yoga is... I hesitate because I, I sort of believe that there is a higher power of some sort, that there is order in the universe and that being part of that universe, this order. I, I know that I look out at nature and I see things working quite well, um, at least until humans get involved. <laughs> um, and, and I believe that we as humans are part of that. We're not separate from nature. We're not separate from the rest of the universe. So if there's some sort of order or harmony in the universe, I sort of believe there has to be that same thing guiding or gently nudging us um, but I don't, I wouldn't call myself religious because I have no interest in going to church or, or, um, adhering to a specific dogma. For me, it's just about showing up and being present and trusting that there's a reason for me to be here right now. And my job in any moment is to figure out what that is. Well, I definitely think you found your calling personally. Thank you. Would you say that, um, yoga saved you then in many ways? 
I would absolutely say it saved me um, because I think that a lot of people, um, a lot of people have a similar experience to what I had in the sense that they were raised in a given religion and it didn't work and then they left that. And then it, it sort of left a hole for everything that was wrong with my upbringing. It did give sort of some sense of purpose or definition or a sense of that there's something bigger, there's a purpose to life. And even though it fell short, ultimately, I felt that absence when it was gone, if that makes sense. And it's sort of like breaking up with somebody that it's a bad relationship, but you still grieve for them when they're gone. It was the same sort of thing, but I think that I was fortunate enough to find a healthier relationship with something that was not dogmatic, that was not religion even. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's given my life a lot of meaning and direction um, that people who just abandon any sense of spirituality altogether struggle with. Not that you can't have it. It's just it's, you sort of throw away the manual. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yoga is such a positive affirmation. I think a lot of people that are in ruts in their life, they struggle to sort of work out the, the benefits of yoga and they just see it as a quite sort of nebulous thing. And, you know, something which you need to expend a lot of energy and a lot of time on in order to feel those effects. Would you say that that is the case? It takes a lot of practice before you actually start feeling that, that euphoria. And yeah, what are the feelings that you, that you have of yoga when, you, when you're actually doing it? What are the benefits for you? Sure. Um, I think that yoga, um, it actually doesn't take that long. I mean, there's long-term damage that we do to our body and to our hearts and to our minds that takes time to reverse. But I think anybody who's gone to their first yoga class um, knows that they walk out feeling different. There's a little bit more of a bounce in their step. There's a little bit more of a sparkle in their eyes. They, they're just sort of breathing a little easier Maybe they sleep better that night or, you know, it's it just they feel different. They feel a sense of clarity. And, of course, over time, that benefit grows. But I think most people, like at the cathedral, we get a lot of new students, people who are trying it for the first time, some because it's donation-based, some because they sort of felt uncomfortable as Christians going to a yoga class, like they were cheating. <laughs> but because it's in a church, it's somehow okay. Right. But they come up to me after in tears and they're like, I've never felt anything like this. And one of the core principles in yoga is that you don't need to become perfect. The, the whole idea of self-improvement doesn't really work in the context of yoga philosophy because you're perfect already. That we must just got to remove the, the muck that's preventing you from seeing that. Beneath the, the surface of the choppy waters, finding that exactly, calm state. Exactly. Or... Um, it's like if you have a piece of tarnished silver. Okay. It, the silver is worth just as much. It's, right. It's a sparkle under there. But you need something to remove the tarnish. And, and that's sort of what yoga does, is it removes that tarnish that allows us to sort of recognize what's always been there. It was just sort of hidden under the busyness of life and the drama that the egos creates and all of that. But when you get quiet, even for a moment, it's like, oh. 
Yeah, Four. wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Great metaphors. And you know, uh, something that you talked about, I've been only been to two classes so far, but something that you talked about, uh, I think in the first one, which really struck a chord. And it's something about a great teacher where you just feel that they're talking to you personally. And you were talking about um, internal dialogue being really destructive. And I think that's something that's really happened to me sort of more recently. And it's something that happens periodically throughout most people's lives, I suppose. Both times when I've been to the session, I've come into it feeling a bit manic and uh, just feeling a bit a bit stressed out and, and feeling like, you know, do I have time for this? I should be doing other things. But they, I just felt so in the present, in the moment, after 30 to 45 minutes of doing the sessions, not least because of your calming voice and the surroundings, but just the whole vibe of it. It's not particularly um, intense or aggressive yoga. It gives you time to think. Close meditation from the end of the You will lose someone you And the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart. It does not seal back up. And you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly, that still hurts when the weather gets cold. But somebody said to me recently that uh, depression is thinking too much about the past and anxiety is thinking too much about the future but i really feel in the present with your with your sessions and you think do you think that's one of the main benefits of yoga in general i do i think yoga is a form of meditation um mm -hmm. and when you sit to meditate in a like what people typically think of as meditation um you're trying to discipline the mind by almost like by brute force focus on this mantra don't move just stay there and then of course your mind wanders because our minds for most of us have deeply untrained minds or focus on the breath just sit there and be quiet focus on the breath that is something i do and it, it and i love it's a beautiful part of my my personal practice but i think the body is always in the present moment Right. right. And, and, and when you have sensation in the body, especially really big and pronounced sensation, like if you stub your toe, you're not thinking about what happened to you yesterday or when you were a kid. You're not worried about paying the rent or, you know, what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You're there is nothing but a stubbed toe <laughs> for that moment. Now, I'm not saying go kick the door on purpose, but I, I am saying that the sensation of the body does that for us it, it can only be here and now and so when you come to yoga and you hear me saying pay attention to your breath notice what you're feeling notice the effects of your body basically just come into the physicalness of your body your mind which is all over the place all day mm. it just comes home there's, there's it, it, you can't really be fully in the body and not in the moment and that's why kids are so enlightened right they play and it doesn't matter if they, if they, if when I teach kids yoga, they fall out of the tree pose. An adult looks around to see if anybody saw them or they judge themselves. Oh, you suck at yoga, uh, that internal dialogue you mentioned. Kids have more fun falling out of a yoga pose than they do actually balancing in one. <laughs> and that's as it should be. Right. You know, and, but they're fully in the moment. If they're upset with you, they'll throw a tantrum and scream and kick and yell and make cause a scene. But then as soon as they're done with that, they are done. They're not dwelling on it. They're not holding a resentment. They're just, 
oh, I love you, daddy, <laughs> or whatever. And that is what we could be like. We could fully express ourselves in this moment. And then in the next moment, be in that moment fully, emotionally, yeah. mentally, physically. Um, but most of us are living somewhere other than this moment and missing the whole point. So true. So very true. Is it something you need to do every day? Is it something that needs to be done constantly and consistently in order to feel those benefits? Yeah. Um, I get that question a lot. And, and I, years ago, I was at the dentist and they had a little cartoon on the wall. And it's the guy in the dentist, the, the patient in the dentist chair is saying to the dentist, do I need to floss every single tooth? And the dentist replies, only the ones you need. And I think when people ask me that, I say, do you need to practice yoga every day? No. Only the days you want to be sane, <laughs> grounded, and in the present moment. And we have a lot of competition. And, and our, our egos and the world outside have like this vested interest in you not getting quiet. So do you need to practice every day? No. I mean, if you come to yoga on Tuesday night once a week, that's going to improve the quality of your life. But how much more would the quality of your life be if you got up every morning and did a few sun salutations and sat and meditated for 15 or 20 minutes, right? And, and how, how much more productive would you be at work? How much more connected would your relationships be, romantic relationships with your kids, you know, with your coworkers, everything, all of that conflict that's in here that gets projected out. It's not that it goes away, but it just, you take the edge off, you know? Absolutely. It's an excuse I've used in the past that I'm too busy to do yoga and meditation, but I think that probably that means that I'm too busy not to do it. Do you know what I mean? Because my yeah. mind is so busy all of the time. It's exactly what I need to quiet, calm my mind and to, you know, yeah. de-stress my body. You know, uh, I tell this story a lot because I think it sums up why we do yoga and, and why people get so emotional when they practice yoga, especially in a very, um, like the cathedral is such a devotional, sacred space. Um, and for each person, it's a little different. But um, years ago now, when my son was like four years old, three, four years old, I was what I call grumpy daddy. I was in a rush. I needed to get out the door. You know, all parents can relate to this. Hurry up, eat your breakfast. I'm in a hurry. I have an agenda. And of course, kids don't have that agenda, right? They are so not interested in whether or not you're going to be late for work. They don't even understand what late for work means. <laughs> and so I was being grumpy and reactive and expecting him to act like an adult instead of a three or four year old. And he said, daddy, can I hold your hand? And I'm like, fine. <laughs> and I hand give him my hand. And he puts this little hand in mine and he closes his eyes for a minute. I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm filling your heart with love because it's really empty right now. <laughs> and of course I started crying and, but he was right. And the, the truth is that's a cute little story. But the truth is, he, it's not that I didn't love him in that moment. I've never loved anything more than my son. But in that moment, I was so busy that I couldn't feel it. I couldn't experience it. And as soon as he got me to shut up for a moment and take a breath and hold his hand, 
it was so apparent that I love him. It was just right there at the surface. I and think I so many like people every- can appre- uh, empathize with that. It's just about appreciation, I suppose, of the right things and the most important things. Yeah, I mean, I've worked with couples before, and yeah, they, they're always trying to process their emotions and bicker with each other. And you left the toilet seat up and you left the cap off the thing, or even worse, you cheated on me, whatever the, the issue is. And I'm like, let's start by meditating and get calm and centered. And then see if you can connect a little bit more because you probably love each other a great deal. You may not want to stay together, but you probably love each other a lot. Something brought the two of you together. If you can get quiet enough, it'll become apparent why. And sure. that's a much better posture to begin from. Wonderful. I think that's a great lesson to so many people. So what about Grace Grace Cathedral then? How did that come about? Well, a friend of mine, um, I always like to give him credit because he, I think he's brilliant, <laughs> was a yoga teacher there and a member of the congregation. And then he went to grad school in New York. And he contacted me, asked me if I would like to take it over. And when I met with the cathedral, I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I mean, I was raised Christian and I, and I sort of dig Jesus. He was pretty cool, but I don't go to church. I don't go to your church. And I said, so maybe, you know, Grace Cathedral is, they often call it a house of worship for all people. I said, why don't we do something that reflects that? And they, I don't know if they really cared that much they just wanted a yoga class in the cathedral and so i brought in the music i have a lot of musician friends and i invited you know people who i thought that the music would lend itself to that venue and the sacredness of the space which it does so brilliantly it's really amazing i mean uh, i'd like to take credit but it was almost an accident because shortly after I started the class, my friend Sam, I said, you should come play sometime. That'd be really fun. And and then he said, we should invite this person in. And it just became this, all of a sudden, within a month or two, I had a full schedule. Amazing. And yeah, and we started with like 20 people. It was literally yoga on the labyrinth, just around that circle. The circle in the middle. And before we knew it, it was like 100 people, and then 200, and then 300. And like last night, we had 600, so. My God. And yeah, basically, you're going to need a bigger cathedral at some stage because I they're... Keep, I keep asking them to build me a new cathedral or a, put another <laughs> edition on. <laughs> so far, they haven't agreed. Uh, yeah, the, the musical edition is just wonderful. And I don't think I've done anything like that before with such amazing live music. The only, the only yoga session that I've ever been to, which was commensurate in any sort of way in terms of being really inspirational, and you must try it sometime if you're ever in the neighborhood, was in Amsterdam. And it's a place called Unlimited Health. And there's a guy called Anil there, and he's 74 years of age. I think I've got his age right. He's somewhere in his 70s. He does six hours of yoga classes every day. And he... He just makes you stream with tears because he talk, He does a non-intense yoga, which is really, really good. It really helps you stretch and relax physically. But he talks about the world and he's quite cynical about the Western world and the amount of materialism in the Western world. And he just seems to really brilliantly and eloquently strip away all the things that aren't important in your life, all the nonsense, the credit cards, the materials, all these things, and remind you about what's important. And yeah, I, I would strongly recommend that to you if, you have, if you're ever in the neighborhood. I, I will absolutely, I'm thinking about taking my son to Europe um, 
right now we go to India, and in two weeks we're going to Mexico together. He's done more international travel than any kid I know. But when he's a little older, because I feel like Europe's more of a older kid thing to appreciate. Sure. Whereas India is like a big petting zoo. So. Uh, so do you do do you take yoga retreats out in out in India? Do you do retreats anywhere else? I do. I bring groups to India every spring, and then I do retreats to Joshua Tree, the desert here in Southern California. Um, and then I do other retreats, um, like at various retreat centers. And I, I used to travel and teach a lot, but then I became a single dad and the, having any kind of, the, the traveling is just a lot of work. So. Yeah, of course. I've got logistically difficult, especially when you're looking after one. I, I, I don't have any children myself, but I look after a dog periodically. And even that is a 24 seven pursuit. <laughs> So, but you've well, also if you're re- getting bored, sorry. you can come babysit my son. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, I, I, I also noticed that you've written quite a few books. Uh, how did, how did you, your writing career begin? Was it at the same time as you started yoga or much later? And uh, which, of which one are you most proud? Well, that's like asking a mother which child she loves the most. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, no, I, I started writing a lot when I was in high school. It was more of a therapeutic process. And then... I had always, like, from early on, I sort of knew I was going to write a book. I didn't really know what it was about or how to do it or how to get published or any of that. And then many years ago, it was, I think, in 99, 98, 99, I had a website and a blog, and no one had one at that time. Again, you were ahead of the way. I try. (laughs) I'm a geek. (laughs) I admit it. But um, a publisher from Europe, saw some of my writing um it was about the wisdom of oz as a spiritual metaphor and he asked me if i would i, I mentioned in a note that i in, hope to write a book about this someday and he's like hey i'd like to publish that book and so he published a bunch of my books um the first few books and then uh, ultimately i bought back all the rights and um self-publish everything now just it's an easier more fluid way to get things out there and um yeah, it's it's really fun. And I think, I, I mean, I love all of them, all of the books. I think Urban Mystic, Yoga and the Path of the Urban Mystic, it's, it's the one that is but the bestseller. And it, I think it's changed. The, it, it really has affected a lot of people. Wonderful. But even the books that haven't sold as well as Urban Mystic, like Hearts and Minds, um, talking to Christians about homosexuality, I, I don't get nearly as much mail from that, um, but I get really sweet emails from people who, especially young people who live somewhere and they're in a very conservative Christian family and they're gay and they're feeling like they have no way out or they're feeling a lot of guilt and shame and the book has helped them. Um, so. I, I don't know. It's hard to say which one. I, I, you measure success with so many different yardsticks, you know? Absolutely. And you've, you've referred to a couple already. I suppose it's easy to, living in San Francisco, which is generally such a liberal place, it's easy to overlook the idea that there is still so many social taboos and so much, so much discrimination in the world when it comes to sexuality and race these days. Still. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's hard to, to even fathom. But at the same time, you <laughs> I often say the don't same really thing. have to go too far over one of our bridges to, to see that there's a lot of um, 
a lot of um, intolerance in the world, and 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 not just externally, like intolerance toward others. I, I think a lot of that is internalized as well. And so I I feel like a part of my work is hopefully to help people stop internalizing that because that internalized um, hatred or intolerance um, it becomes fertile ground for the external version of it. I like the idea that anger is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. You know, just keeping I, things I on. I love that quote. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and you're an amazing communicator, and it's one of the great things about the yoga session, but I just wish you would stop trying to make me laugh when I'm doing uh, a difficult <laughs> pose. I, I can't <laughs> promise that. So um, the books, uh, we can buy them on darrenmain.com. That's D-A-R-R-E-N-M-A-I-N.com. Is that the best place to buy them? Um, Amazon, they're on Audible. They're um, on iBooks. I mean, really, it does, I'm thrilled if you just buy the book. <laughs> well, I am yeah, most... All, I have them all listed at my website, and you can read about them and um, see which one speaks to you, if any. Amazing. Um, and of course, like in order to have the inspiration to write um, so, so many books, you've obviously got to talk from your own experiences, but obviously from other experiences and other inspirations as well. Are there some books uh, that, that you could recommend to me that I could, uh, I could look at that have helped you on your spiritual journey and in life? Anything by Pema Chodra, Thich Nhat Hanh, or Jack Cornfield would be a great place to start. Okay. And that will keep you busy for a lifetime because they've right. written a lot. <laughs> They made me look like a kindergartner and that they're so prolific with their writing. Um, I really like one of my, the earliest books that changed my life too, really. Um, one was way of the peaceful warrior, okay. it's a simple little book by Dan Millman. It's sort of part fiction, part his biography. Um, and, and they ultimately made a movie out of it. And then a return to love by Marianne Williamson, really sort of moved me in pretty profound ways pretty early on my path so th those are the ones I would focus on marvelous they sound like great references um we've spoken about the digital age and about materialism and about the sort of dissolution of community uh, but the next question I wanted to ask you was what you think the greatest challenge facing humanity is and and whether we've got any chance of overcoming it after my big speech about how I'm not religious, I, w I will say this. I think that um, in Hinduism and in many Eastern traditions born out of the Vedas, there is a basic belief that, uh, that humanity is on like a pendulum swing and, and that it, we swing into darkness and then we swing into light and then it starts over again. Um, for those of you who are Battlestar Galactica fans, that was a big part of their um the, the the whole thing that this has all happened before it will all happen again and but i'm of the belief that the pendulum swings and the deeper it swings into the light the more momentum it has on the the, the flip side so i think a lot of the darkness we see now is a reaction to um the fact that we are progressing and the forces of darkness are really terrified I mean, it's, to me, it's not a coincidence that we had our first black president and shortly following his leaving office, we had a massive... Um, Polemic opposite. Yeah, well, both the, the man in the White House, but also that we had white supremacists marching in the streets. 
is something that we haven't seen. We've known it's been there, but it's sort of been hidden in the in the shadows. And 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 I think the reason they're marching in the street is because they're terrified. Mm. You know, like Barack Obama and the fact that we are moving forward, not just him, but in in many ways, you see the darkness just kicking up a shitstorm. <laughs> and the best thing we can do, I believe, I mean, like on Tuesday night, I try very, very hard not to talk about politics because I want whether you if you voted for Donald Trump, I want you there. OK, right. I definitely want you there. You need to be there. No, or it's inclusive. It's inclusive. Yeah, it doesn't matter because I believe we will make better political choices, better social change choices if we are centered and calm and focused. And if we practice next to people who are different than us, who mm. maybe wear a yarmulke or a hijab or a priest wearing a collar, I see that every week, whether you're young or old or fit or not so fit, whether you know the fancy Sanskrit words in yoga or have no idea, whether you're an atheist, agnostic, Christian, it doesn't matter. You know, when we come together and share silence like that, I think it reflects orients our compass and so i think the best thing we can do is become non-reactive i mean donald trump everybody knows about his infamous twitter feed but where he where he gets power from that is in getting people to react Mm. oh my god i love donald trump he's giving he's sticking it to the man or oh my god i hate donald trump he's so offensive and terrorizing immigrants or muslims or people of color or gay people, <laughs> pretty much everyone, you know, football players who want to kneel. It, it doesn't matter. He, he's The reason he's gained as much power as he has is because we all react to him. Sure. And, and at the point we can respond to him without, we can act but not react. I think that's, that's how we turn the corner. I, but I think as long as we're stuck in debating a crazy person with a Twitter account, I, I think we become the crazy person who also has a Twitter account. At every step of American politics over the last few years, I've just been agog. Like, I couldn't imagine for a second that Donald Trump would become uh, president of the United States. But I would be equally surprised if he got a second term. But again, I wouldn't put that past him at this point, would you? I, uh, you know, I <laughs> never say never. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, and and to me, again, it's not about politics. It's about moving people forward. And I yeah. think that there are, I have conservative, genuine, open-hearted conservative friends. I tend to vote more liberal, but I know people who are conservative, conservative Christian, conservative voters that are good people that want the best for everyone. They have a different view of that. And I think when we sort of argue in that respectful, not argue, but debate and bump up against each other as I, I was thinking about this today in, in when you write fiction there's a nemesis which is your sort of enemy um, Joker to Batman or, or there's a foil somebody who is different than you but they bring out your best qualities and you bring out theirs I think our when we disagree if we can become foils rather than nemesis like so you voted for George W. Bush. Okay. You're a good yes. person. You love your kids. You worry about not getting sick and hope, hoping to make the world a better place. 
I don't have to make you evil, you know? I, I think you've, you've put that so succinctly and it's just for me, I try and keep it as abstract as possible. And I think about including and excluding the things that I don't like in the world, the movements, the political movements, the spiritual movements, the, the, the religious movements. I have no problems with any of those as long as they try to include rather than exclude. I talk to some people about a world without borders and they are disgusted by the idea. You know, I speak to certain people of certain religions and they can't include other religions as part of their faith. And for me, that's where it falls down. That's where the problems are in society. When you are looking at people and excluding certain people from, from what you're doing, from your tribe, that's when it all goes wrong. Yeah, I, I once heard Bill Clinton say, he was talking about the Israeli peace process, which of course has been <laughs> looking hopeful at times and like it'll never happen at other times. And but he, he, he said there will always be those who define who they are by who they are not. Right. That my identity as a Muslim is defined by the fact that I'm not Jewish or vice versa. And I think we do that all the time. Mm. And I think, I, I mean, I'm just doing my small part, you know, like and using yoga as the vehicle as countless other people doing the same thing using whatever mechanism they have. But I think when people come into the cathedral on Tuesday night and they recognize that there's, there is so much different about each of us and that's what makes us beautiful. You know, whether it's the color of your skin or how you worship or what you can do or not do with your body. We have a beautiful man that takes a class every week in a wheelchair. Right. Right. And so there's obvious differences in how his body works versus how my body works. And yet, I'm not defined by that. And, and, and because of that, it's like, welcome. Mm. You know, you can't do a handstand. Okay. Why do you think people are so quick to exclude? Do you think that they're indoctrinated with certain, you know, mantras uh, in certain religions and certain, you know, spiritual areas? Or do you think that it's just a human nature to a sort of survival of Darwinian survival of the fittest of trying to grapple your way above everybody else? Um, well, yo the word yoga means union, and I and there's many definitions. My personal definition is the joining of joining together of that which is perceived to be separate. And so, just on a very basic level, we perceive our body as a bunch of separate parts, or our emotional body and our mental body as somehow separate from our physical body. And when we roll out our yoga mat and we go through this routine of bizarrely named poses about animals and tools and farm implements and stuff that we somehow recognize that it is one body, right? There's no, when my mind is scattered and unbalanced, my body is that and vice versa. Okay. But then it ripples outward from there. And I start to realize that there is no difference between me and the person who prays differently, votes differently, looks differently is sexually attracted to a different kind of person than I'm attracted to. There's no difference really. I mean, there's slight variations on a theme. And if everybody looked the same, wouldn't we get tired of looking at each other? Maybe, unless they were all as good looking as me. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, there are three more questions I want to ask you and I'll try and do, do it as good as possible. So um, you seem like a very happy and centered and balanced person, but even you must struggle for happiness and motivation sometimes. Do you? And, and how would you combat that? Would that simply be with yoga? 
I only feel that sense of doom and foreboding and depression on days that end in the letter Y. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that the yoga and meditation and other forms of spiritual practice don't, um, it doesn't give us a pass. We still feel grief. We still feel fear and pain and all of that. But what they, what they do to what yoga and meditation and other practices offer us is a method for responding to that, those human experiences, the highs and lows in a different way. Right. Mm -hmm. When I always say, I'm trying to learn how to surf and it's super embarrassing. Um, I should have learned when I was little. I didn't. Now I'm in my forties and it just like get my ass handed to me by a wave (laughs) every single time. But so you, the, the ocean is there and the waves are there and you can go into the ocean and that big wave can knock you over. It can drown you even. Or you can learn how to relate to that wave in a different way, and then the, all the energy of that wave allows you to surf. Right? The wind is always there. It's blowing whether you put up a windmill or not. So yoga teaches us how to erect a windmill. Okay. So that we can harness the the energy of life. Right? Giving so you the tools having, for happiness. Exactly. You're having a big emotion, right? Maybe you're grieving the loss of somebody you love. That is not a bad thing. That's a human thing. And just because you meditate every day doesn't mean you don't grieve when your best friend dies. Mm. But you respond to that differently because through your yoga practice, you realize that this too shall pass. Everything passes. Everything is transient and changing. And your job is to become the witness and the observer. And you've done this a million times over on your yoga mat and your meditation cushion. And so when it comes time to apply it to life, you recognize that this pain I feel because my best friend is no longer with me, it will pass and it will transform and it will change. And not only that, it can lift me up. Instead Mm. of knocking me over, it can be the thing that lifts me to higher ground. Yes, adversity becoming a springboard for, for other good things. And I think also when we bring mindfulness into painful moments, you can, you can sort of not go, be in denial of the pain, but step back and see it from a different angle. And if you look at your life and the times of the greatest growth and the things that really forged who you are as a person, that gave you your best qualities as a person today, they were probably the most painful times. Mm-hmm. I know for me, getting clean and sober um, was pivotal. Like the pain that led to that changed the course of my life. Finding out I was HIV positive, again, it just was, it was like a two by four in the back of my head. Mm. And I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And yet somehow that pain and struggling opened me in a way that, you know, spending a day at the day spa doesn't, you know, I, I love going to the day spa. I recommend it highly, but it, I, I can't tell you aside from feeling a little bit better when I walked out that I was a very different person. Right. Um, and yoga teaches us how to surrender into those experiences so that we can be lifted by them. Okay. So let things wash over you rather than constantly fighting them. Exactly. Mm. 
Wonderful. Um, again, beautifully articulated. I'm going to go on a complete tangent now, but I love asking this question because I think um, it throws up some brilliant answers. Have you ever seen anything that defies science or uh, what's the strangest thing you've ever seen? Yeah, you know, I'm sort of an analytical person and, and I once had my astrology chart read and, and the astrologer said, you, you know, you're, you're a skeptic, but you're a healthy skeptic. And she said, you're perfectly willing to believe in leprechauns. You just want to meet one first. And, and that was, I mean, I don't even believe in astrology, but, but that was pretty spot on. That's mm -hmm. sort of how I approach life and the world. But there was, I had this experience. Um, it, it's sort of like multifaceted from so many different parts of my life. But I, I, when I started the adoption process um, or thinking about it and getting ready to call the adoption agency, um, I went to India during that process. And while I was there, I got a phone call that he was sort of like a grandfather to me, mm -hmm. had passed away. And I didn't know what to do. He was Catholic and he was my CCD teacher. And I felt he really took me under his wing. He was a really influential part of my life. There were no Catholic churches around because I was in India. And so I went down to the Ganges River and I bought a little boat of flowers to just make an offering for him. Yeah. And then I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm trying to adopt a child out of the foster system. So that child is likely in the world right now somewhere and probably in a really rough spot if they're in foster care. So I just called the little girl over who was selling the little flower boats and I, I bought her another one and I lit the candle and sent it down the river. And then I took a picture of the two of them floating down the river together. Didn't think much of it. And then I posted to my blog an essay about my friend Art who had passed away. And I got a lot of feedback on that. And so when the second edition of one of my books came out, uh, my Yogi Entrepreneur book, I dedicated it to him. And at the back of the book, I included that essay with the date that I was in India on this date and I wrote this. And my editor was both babysitting my son for me. She does, she does a lot for me. And she was also editing the book at the same time. And she's big into reincarnation and everything. And she said, when was Jaden's birthday? And I, and I told her. Jaden um, is? Jaden is my son. Okay, sure. And, and I told her and she said, I need to show you something. And she handed me the manuscript and she opened to that page and she pointed to the date and it was the day before his birthday. Fascinating. And so I was at the river sort of sending a little prayer to my son, you know, a little boat when he was being born. Like, I don't know if it was the hour, but it, it was within 24 hours, you know. That's amazing. And, and you, you felt that there was some connection there. Yeah, I mean, I... Cosmic I connection. Imagine. That could be a coincidence, but even, I mean... It, some feels just feel too coincidental, though, don't they? Well, the worst thing that you could arguably say has happened to me in my life, at least on the surface, is becoming HIV positive. But for a long time, I took HIV meds that affected my dreaming. Right. So I'd have these very lucid dreams at night. And right after, shortly after that, I started, I was going to the home study and I 
I I was having these really lucid, vivid dreams, and I was looking for a child of color, um, probably a four or five year old child. I didn't really want to change diapers, and I kept having dreams about this little um, white baby with big blue eyes, and his name was always Jaden. And when they called me the day the home study was done, I mean, like insanely fast, I. I said, I, he's a baby. I don't, I don't want a baby. <laughs> I don't want to do diapers. <laughs> what part of diapers, Nick, don't you get? And they said, well, can we just tell you about him? We have a feeling about this one. And they started by saying, well, his name is Jaden. Are you serious? I'm very serious. And you'd been dreaming about that name. Right. And so he's, he, biologically or ethnically, he's Latino and Caucasian. And so I expected dark skin, dark eyes. I went down to the hospital, and when they introduced me to him, he looks like they cloned me, big blue eyes and sandy blonde hair. And I picked him up, and I was like, well, I guess I need to learn how to change yeah. diapers because I can't <laughs> put down. Oh, that is a wonderful story of bringing um, tears to my eyes. Well, the thing is, it could all be coincidence, and I'm open to that, but I, I, I can't explain it any other way except for that there is harmony in, in the universe, and when we pay attention, we can go with the flow or we can swim upstream. Most of us are swimming upstream, but when you learn to meditate or practice yoga or tai chi or Christian centering prayer or Kabbalah, whatever your thing is, it's really just letting go. Letting go, yes, in a, in a couple of words, so important. I couldn't have expected a response that good to that question. That's wonderful. And you've, you've, you've touched upon something, which I, another thing I wanted to talk about very briefly, which is the fact that uh, during the, the, the yoga session that I did, the first one that I did, you spoke afterwards, or maybe one of your friends spoke afterwards about the adoption process and the fact that there's an adoption group at the Grace Cathedral as well. I think that may have been Braid Mission. They... Um... And I mentioned that I had adopted out of the foster care system. Braid Mission doesn't do adoptions, but they support foster kids. And okay. Sort of like a like a mentoring program. Mm -hmm. What are they um, called? Sorry, remind me. Braid, like braid your hair. Mission. Braid your, okay, great. And for if anybody's listening to this that lives in San Francisco that feels drawn to work with foster kids, it's a great program. It's like a big brother, big sister type of program. Um, they do more group work where you work in teams, but you take the kids out and, and, and give some sort of normalcy to their lives. Really amazing work they're doing and needed. I mean, foster kids, I don't know how anybody can go through this foster system and come out the other side. Um, I've been looking to do some volunteering of some kind. I'm so going to throw myself into that if I can help in any way. That would be amazing. Spend a couple of hours a week looking after some kids and... Yeah. Yeah. Well, they'd probably be down to do an interview with you for your podcast, too. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. I've seriously considered adopting in the past. I don't have any children, but it's certainly a route that I would, I would go down because I just think there's, there are too many children in the world already that don't have, you know, loving parents. So the idea of just flavorly, you know, creating some more when there's so many that need help out there. Just, yeah. I, I'm quite at odds with that idea. Well, when you're ready to explore that, I'd be happy to chat with you. Oh, that's really, really kind of you. You're a very inspiring person to me, but who inspires you most and why? My son. Brilliant. Um, and because he 
I, I won't go into the details of his story, but he had a really rough start to life, and he reminds me that the human spirit is incredibly resilient and strong. And whenever I'm getting whiny, pouty, you know, just negative, all I have to do is look at him and say, wow, you know, like he's human like the rest of us. He definitely has his moods, He, but he reminds me over and over and over again what the best part of being human is. And that is that we can experience tremendous trauma and suffering and struggle and obstacles and we can overcome them not always in the way you expect but we do come out the other side and you know at this time of i think considerable darkness in the world um we need to remember that that this will pass that the the sun will come up again (laughs) the world will be okay there'll be pain and there'll be suffering but yeah you know and and even like after the last election the 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 election in which Donald Trump was elected i just i was so depressed i couldn't even get out and i don't think i'm alone in that i think a lot of people are, are across, around the world but especially here in Francisco it was like it was like a tomb mm. and you know my son needed regardless of who's president my son needed breakfast in the morning and he needed to get to school and so I had to drag my ass out of bed to give him breakfast. I wouldn't say I was the most cheery dad for a while, but he he, he was sort of like my lifeline, you know. And I think that service work, um, whether you're teaching a yoga class or volunteering or whatever, or being a parent or whatever, when you're serving other people, it, it sort of it's a lifeline for the people you serve, but it's also a bigger lifeline for you. Yes. It's almost selfish. Selflessness is almost selfish, isn't it? Because it generates joy when you do something like that. It gives you a feeling of purpose and self-esteem. What I love about children as well is the simplicity of their joy. I'm a fan of a guy called Alain de Botton, who's an English writer and philosopher. And uh, he, he basically uses this example that as children, you can run around naked screaming and you're just seen as happy. But if you do that as an adult, you get locked up. You know, it's, there's so much social conditioning and inhibitions that get thrown onto us as we grow up. And that's, that's sad in some ways because this, the, the unbridled joy that children have should be enjoyed all the way through your life. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the movie Harold and Maude. Ah, it's my, yeah. <laughs> it means a lot to me. You should watch it again now that you're in the Bay Area because it was all filmed here. Right. Okay. I do love that film. It's wonderful. It's, it's unique, isn't it? I've never seen anything quite like it. I've I've often thought it would be fun to do like a a, a photo um, a photo essay project where you went to all of the scenes and you dressed up like Harold or Maude like sign, recreated. But sign me up. <laughs> I get to be Maude though. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that at a later date. Uh, we can we can negotiate that. It's been so wonderful talking to you. Um, I've really enjoyed every moment and consider me an avid follower of your class every week from here on in. I had the dog last night, so I couldn't, um, I couldn't come, but it really does give me such positivity. You can bring your dog. Yeah, I saw a dog actually come last week. Why didn't I think of that? People bring dogs all the time. I wonder whether he'd be patient enough to sit through it. No, he won't, but that's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Darren. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you in class. And I know you're new to the Bay Area. So if you 
need a friend, if you need some support or guidance or anything at all, um, just let me know. You'll regret that. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> Thank you.